Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of Bible News Radio. I am your host, Stacey Lynn Harp here, and um, I want to welcome you to the show, and I want to just give you a disclaimer right up front, and that this this show is not for kids, okay? This show is not for children. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to look at uh, some of the trending things happening this week, in particular, uh, the boycott against Disney. And I have to tell you, honestly, that this week as I was going through the news and I kept seeing this jump, you know, this boycott Disney thing over and over again, I had two thoughts. My first thought was, gee, it's about time y'all woke up. (laughs) They've only been doing this for decades. Uh, But then the other thought that came to me was a lot of you probably didn't know that they've been doing this for decades. And so I thought, well, you know, don't be so judgmental, Stacy. stop it. You know, you just, just, you know, do your job and speak the truth, you know, about what's going on in the culture. So today we're going to look at the gay agenda a little bit. I'm going to give you some updated history. I'm going to give you a couple of resources that uh, you might want to look into if you can afford them because, you know, Certain things have gone through the roof. But if you are new here, I want to welcome you. I want to ask you to subscribe to our channel wherever you're watching me at, wherever you're watching the show at. And I also just want to, you know, direct you to the ticker below here. And then you can look there and you can sign up uh, if you want to become part of our Bible reading accountability group. You can do that. Uh, If you want to join my email list, which is actually the best thing to do is get on my email list. Do that. I send out a couple emails a week um, with our Bible studies that we're currently doing. And um, also, you know, a little information about about the show. Uh, We are a nonprofit as well. And anytime you'd like to support our work, um, we graciously thank you for doing that in advance. And got to tell you a couple of things. Okay. So here's a couple of things. Randall and I, my husband, if you don't know, he's my husband and he's my producer. Uh, we were talking about, um, what should we name this show? Uh, Cause that's one of the things that we have to do first, you know, we got to name the show. And I've had a couple of experiences this week personally, uh, that kind of, kind of, um, are the bookends to why I want to talk about this topic today. Okay. Some of you know I wrote this book, Pickleball Faith, Inspiration on and Off the Court. And just to start right off, you know, one of the things that that happened that I had to deal with this week is doing some follow-up for people who are reviewing my book. Now, I don't have anything against any of the people who volunteered to review my book. What I'm about to share, though, is kind of a... um, indicator of Isaiah 520, which was a, let's say, subtle prophecy that in the end times they would call evil good and good evil. In fact, there's a a meme going around Facebook. Maybe some of you have seen it. It actually says, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> so so there's this this step. We overlook it, then we permit it, then we legalize it, then we promote it, then we celebrate it, uh, and then we persecute those people who originally called it evil. Now, if you don't think that there is an agenda to normalize evil and to uh, insult people who are trying to hold a biblical moral, uh, I will just tell you, I simply mentioned the name of my book, Pickleball Faith, nothing else, just the name, and got pounced on by numerous people because of the word faith. A few people came, they looked at my bio, saw that I host Bible News Radio, that I'm a conservative Christian, and, you know, and then they mocked God. They referred to God as her. They spelled God G-A-W-D, and then Jesus, you know, they spelled it out and tried to be funny and everything. And, it, and you know, I was just sitting there laughing because it's, it's, it's just a sign that when you try to hold somebody accountable— for keeping their word, all of a sudden, you're the bad guy, you know? <laughs> so I was simply trying to get people to keep their word and say, hey, what's what's the deal? Are you not going to keep your word? But then, you know, I've had some friends say to me, well, you know, maybe people felt like they got in over their head because they, they, they're bad writers after all, and so that's why they're not writing the review. And I'm like, then why to volunteer to write a review but even more so, the greater issue to me is why validate the person that's lying and not keeping their word? You know, the Bible is very clear to say yes. If you're going to say yes, say yes or no. You know, and in the context is, you know, we don't want to swear by heaven or earth. But still, it's a good moral to have. If you're going to say you're going to do something, then do it. But then the person trying to get you to do something, don't be blaming us for trying to get you to keep your word, right? So when it comes to being a, a person of integrity, uh, I'm sorry to announce this to the world, but it seems like that's kind of lost even in the church because all of a sudden people who are trying to hold that standard are the ones villainized for trying to hold that standard. And, you know, it's interesting because as somebody who has um, – not only have I covered this almost 20 years on air, but I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, and I'm pretty well read in the field of therapy and different things. In fact, I have two books here. One's called After the Ball, uh, How, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s, written by two homosexual activists. And then I have this other book sitting right here on my desk. It's called... The Marketing of Evil by David Kupelian, who, who has been a guest of mine in the past. He's written a couple of other books. But I will tell you that we have intentionally been marketed evil, right? And so <laughs> what I'm going to tell you next is in the Bible, right? Okay, I'll, I'm going to get to these two books in a little bit. But what I'm going to tell you next is this week when I was reading the Word, because uh, some Christians actually do that. And I was actually referred to as a Bible thumper as well this week by this person who was upset because of the word faith in the title of my book, Pickleball Faith. But I was reading in Daniel chapter 6, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But I, I will say, I'm going to start, uh, I'll give you a slight background. So Daniel 6 is the chapter where Daniel um, is basically being set up by the government. 
Okay, so I'll just read it. It won't take that long. So it says here, it seemed good to Darius. This was the, the, the leader, right? To appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Okay, this is a good thing. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Okay, don't miss that because Daniel, when you begin to read the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel is one of four guys that is brought into the favor. Uh, he, he's basically, he's a Babylonian captive. He's a captive in Babylon, but Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar brings him in because uh, he has a troubling dream. And he, the Nebuchadnezzar, initially wanted, you know, his people to explain the dream that he had. That was his thing. Tell me the dream. Tell me what it means. And all the seers went to Nebuchadnezzar and like, Woo, what do you expect, man? We can't tell you what the dream was. What are you, crazy? And then Daniel came forward and asked God to give him the, the, the info. God gave him the info. Long story short, this is how Daniel ultimately got, you know, into the position of authority that he was in. But then Darius becomes the king after, right? And Daniel uh, is this godly guy and they don't like it, period. They don't like it. So they intentionally, it actually says here, the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they couldn't find it, basically, okay? They couldn't find it. So then these guys go on, it goes on to say, you know, hey, Darius, we're going to, you know, what we want you to do is set up this law. And anybody who, you know, doesn't obey this law, they're going to get thrown into a den of lions. Okay. And they're going to be eaten. Uh, this was specifically targeted at Daniel, specifically, because he was a godly guy. Right. And so in um, verse 10, I'm just casting down here. Well, actually, and in verse 7, it says, All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. So, in other words, if Daniel prayed to some other god besides, you know, these guys, for a month that he was going to be thrown into the lion's den. <laughs> so, King, so King Darius, he signs it into law, right? Then in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now in his roof chamber. He had windows open towards Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three, day, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men 
came by agreement and they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. They knew it. They knew he was going to do it because he was a man of prayer. And this, this is what, you know, this is what they were doing. They're totally set Daniel up. And to make a long story short, if you read all of chapter six, ultimately what happens is that Darius, he's troubled because these guys come to him and say, hey, Daniel broke the law. You signed it. Now you basically have to throw him into the lion's den and eat him up because, because he broke the law that you signed. Darius didn't want anything bad to happen to Daniel because he liked Daniel. But he wasn't thinking at, at some point. And to make a long story short, you might know that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The Lord shut the mouth of the lions, right? And he was delivered. And afterwards, King, King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language who were living in the land. And this is verse 25. <clears throat> May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, here's the cool thing. This happened also with the, uh, with the fiery furnace, right? Shadmach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they didn't cave to Nebuchadnezzar. We actually talked a little about, about that last week. And they were exalted as well. So here's a principle for you and me, okay? When our government, or anywhere, your job or whatever, is coming against you and telling you that you cannot worship your God and you have to bow the knee to whatever, just know that our God can deliver because he is living and he is enduring forever. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. So to me, that gives me courage to be able to go and stand boldly for Jesus in a culture today that's saying, what? Pickleball faith? What? Faith? Why don't you go somewhere else? You're in the wrong church, right? I'm like, no, I'm not in the wrong church, uh, but I know my God. And here is what I know, and I want to empower you and, and strengthen you here. Here's what I know. It takes one. That's all it takes. It takes one person to stand up for Christ. And that strengthens other people to come alongside and you stand. Um, so let's get to the homosexual issue then, because, you know, this week, <laughs> like I said, um, Boycott Disney has been all over the place. And it's been all over the place because all of a sudden there are people who are recognizing that Disney promotes pedophilia, child sexualization, intentionally the LGBT agenda, and more. I mean, this is not new to me because I've been covering this for years. But what I will say is that I, I just before the show, I was on Twitter and I saw this graphic. And I'm going to have Randall throw it up there. And you can look at it and you can tell me what Minnie's dress looks like. If you're watching live, you can do it in the comments. But look at that blue turquoise dress, so-called 
Tell me what that looks like in the comments. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I think anybody, um, if you if you're looking at it, <laughs> it is very obvious what it is, right? Um, and it is no secret. In fact, last month there was a breaking news story over on CBS News titled "Disney Employees and Former Judge Among 108 Arrested in Human Trafficking Sting." Okay. For, for Disney employees, right? Some people have actually said that Disney is a front for um, uh, what's commonly referred to as, as Pizzagate and other stuff like that, okay? What, Stacy? why, why, why are you bringing this up? Can't you just leave Disney alone? <laughs> no, actually, I can't. I can't stand Disney. I hate Disney, actually. Uh, I, I don't like most media, and I especially hate how it's sexualized to children. And I will tell you that I have firsthand experience going to one of the largest uh, homosexual conferences ever put out. It's put out by GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. I went almost 20 years to one of these things. Back then, I'm pretty sure it's mild compared to how it is today. I sat in meetings where I heard directly from the people who are out there marketing this evil and how they specifically targeted the church. In fact, here on our YouTube channel, I have a series of nine videos called The Marketing of Homosexuality to America. And in our description of the show, we will make sure that we link to that. So you can go and watch nine hours of me talking about this book here. After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s by Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen. Anybody, if you want to know the truth about what's going on as far as stuff, I will tell you, this is the book they don't want you to have. I was fortunate enough to pay $2 for it. Uh, but this book has sold as much as $1,000. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. He paid over 100 for it. Why? They have intentionally made this book hard to get. This book is a book the gay activist community doesn't want you to have because it lays out literally the marketing plan and how they did it. In fact, when it comes to therapy and stuff, I want to tell you that this week I was going through some of my therapeutic stuff that I get, and I happened to run across this update for from the American Psychiatric Association um, on gender dysphoria, okay? So in the world of mental health, the American Psychological Association, American Psychiatric Association, uh, as a therapist, you're trained in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, right? The fifth edition came out in 2013 and had a whole bunch of stuff in it. I mean, stuff that was legitimately crazy, in my opinion. Here's what I learned in grad school, though, about the DSM, and I was trained in it um, way back in 2003, 4, and 5. Um, what I learned when I was in grad school, and this is the, what, I, what I learned, this is what I learned in, a, in the grad program I was to earn my master's in, this, in, in psychology, is that I could diagnose any view out there with at least 10 or 15 of the disorders that are currently in the book, number one. Number two, even though they claim there's research behind most of the stuff in there, it's a, lo it's a load of crap. It's BS. The APA is completely political, and I'm going to show that to you in just a second. But here, here's the amazing thing, though. This thing is not only completely political, but 
it is it's just evil. And so this week, the DSM-5TR, and all TR stands for, is the revised version. Okay. Huh? Yeah. Text revision. Is that what it stands for? Yeah. Okay. Text revision. So, yeah, it's the revised version. Um, and here, here's what they said regarding gender dysphoria. Okay. Check this out, you guys. Now, this, by the way, if you're a licensed therapist in any state, okay, this is what you have to go by when you're diagnosing a client. Here's what the rationale for the change. Listen to this. The text of gender dysphoria was updated to use culturally sensitive language. By the way, the, the gay lobby knows this. The homosexual lobby knows this. Anybody in marketing knows this. He who controls the language controls the debate. Okay. So, Culturally sensitive language, example, desired gender, was changed to experienced gender. Cross-sex medical procedure was updated to gender-affirming medical procedure. Cross-sex hormone treatment to gender-affirming hormone treatment. Natal male to individual assigned male at birth and natal female to individual assigned female at birth. Moreover, differences in sex development was noted to be an alternate term for disorders of sex development. <laughs> this is why I didn't get licensed because I knew I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. Randall, do you want to weigh in before I even say another word about this? Because this is like. I was about to say that you can't make this stuff up. But no. yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. you can. <laughs> this is what it is made up. I mean, here we have, um, we can't say desired gender anymore. You know, the gender desire, it's experienced. It's actually experienced. You can't desire to be an elephant. You've actually, you're experiencing what it's like to be an elephant. Uh, <laughs> So, so males who fancy themselves as females and females who fancy themselves as male, it's not their desired gender anymore. It's their experienced gender. They're actually experiencing it. And of course we can't say cross sex cause you know, that, uh, you know, cross sex. I mean that, ooh, that's like, we're changing something, one thing to another. We're not going to do that. It's, it's gender affirming. We're affirming. Everything's positive. It's an affirmation. The, this, this medical procedure is affirming. And just like the, uh, the other medical procedure, the hormone treatment, that's an affirmation. We're affirming. You're affirming uh, your experience. Not your desire, but your experience. And, of course, they can't say, they can't say do you say natal female, natal male, it's like, well, wait a second. That means you're born that way. Wait, we can't say that you're born male or female because that kind of dismantles the whole thing that I'm I'm born, you know, in the wrong body. So, you know, natal, we can't say natal because that, that basically um, admits or, you know, what's the <laughs> word I'm looking for? But, but it basically confirms that people are born male or female. So now it's individual assigned 
male at birth or assigned female birth. Like it's like this was assigned like a schoolwork assignment. It's not really who they are. It's just the medical establishment, the hospital put on their birth certificate. Oh, we'll just assign you this. Right. This, this is the tag you have to wear until you, you know, well, you know, <laughs> express your true experience. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but on March 31st, it was tweeted out by President Biden. <clears throat> that was hard to say. Um, <clears throat> to transgender Americans of all ages, I want you to know that you are so brave. You belong. I have your back. Well, Janet Parcel, <laughs> bless her heart. She said, now you know the so-called Equality Act, and that's quoted, is a poison spear used to kill religious liberty, which we have talked about. It's not the topic of this show, but it is. And Janet said this, and kudos to Janet because she's brilliant. She taught me a lot. If transgendered people are made in the image of God, what are preborn people? In other words, what's that baby in your mama's womb? Is, is, are they not made in the image of God? It is absolutely insane. We have talked about the emperor has no clothes, right? Remember the premise of that story. The premise of the emperor has no clothes is that the emperor and nobody else wanted to look stupid. And yet here's these people coming in and they, they're they not doing anything. And the emperor ultimately went out there with no clothes on. And it was a child, hello, who said, hey, he has no clothes. <laughs> right? Well, just to show you that this was planned, I want to read you. A little bit from this book here, uh, The Marketing of Evil by David Kupelian. This thing was published a number of years ago, I guess in 2005. Uh, and like I said, I've had David on my show. You could probably go back through my archives on YouTube here and, and, and see the interview that I did. But this is what he writes in this book on page 23. He wrote, in February of 1988, some... 175 leading activists representing homosexual groups from across the nation held a war conference in Warrington, Virginia, to map out their, their movement's future. Shortly thereafter, activists Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen put into book form the comprehensive public relations plan they had been advocating with their gay rights peers for several years. Kirk and Madsen were not the kind of drooling activists that would burst into churches and throw condoms in the air. They were smart guys, very smart. Kirk, a Harvard-educated researcher in neuropsychiatry, worked with the Johns Hopkins Study of Mathematically Precocious Youth and designed aptitude tests for adults with 200-plus IQs. Madsen, with a doctorate in politics from Harvard, was an expert on public persuasion tactics and social marketing. Together they wrote, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. As cynical as it may seem, they explained in the outset, AIDS gives us a chance, however brief, to establish ourselves as a victimized minority legitimately deserving of America's special protection and care. At the same time, they warned, it gen generates mass hysteria of precisely the sort that has brought about public stonings in leper colonies since the Dark Ages and before. How can we maximize the sympathy and minimize the fear? How, given the horrid hand that AIDS has dealt us, can we best play it? 
The bottom line of Kirk and Madsen's master plan, the campaign we outlined in this book, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. Arguing that skillfully handled the AIDS epidemic could conquer America's resistance to homosexuality and form the basis of a comprehensive long-term marketing campaign to sell, quote, gay rights to straight America after the ball became the public relations, quote, Bible of the movement. Kirk and Madsen's war goal, explains marketing expert Paul E. Rondell of Regent University, was to, quote, force acceptance of homosexual culture into the mainstream to silence opposition and ultimately to convert American society. In his comprehensive study, Selling Homosexuality to America, Rondell writes, quote, the extensive three-stage strategy to desensitize, jam, and convert the American public is reminiscent of George Orwell's premise of good think and bad think in 1984. As Kirk and Madsen put it, to one extent or another, the separability and manipulability to be able to manipulate of the verbal label is the basis for all the abstract principles underlying our proposed campaign. You know, the other thing, too, is um, that some of you may or may not know this. A lot of you do because you've listened to me for a while. But, but AIDS was originally named GRID, which means a gay-related immune deficiency. The homosexual activist community changed it to AIDS because they didn't want homosexuality associated with AIDS. Go figure, right? So they named it Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome instead. So on this book, though, After the Ball, here we go. We've got this comprehensive book. This is worth lots of money to somebody. Um, on page 296, this is what I find extremely interesting um, about this because one of the lies that the homosexual lobby doesn't want you to look at, and this is why so many people are outraged now, okay, and they're outraged differently, right? Okay. Because in the beginning, in 1973 and, be, and before, if you were to have gone to a therapist, homosexuality was considered a personality disorder. It was, a, it, there was, a, it was a considered a disorder. It was actually taken out of the DSM in 1973 because of activism, political activism, behind closed doors. They took it out. They didn't take it out based on research or anything like that. Right now, in this book, these two homosexual activists, which I just gave you their credentials, uh, this is what they write personality disorder and evil. This is page 296. And by the way, this book was written, just so you know, I will tell you, it was written in, I think, 1989. Um, it says here, yeah, 1989 was when this was written. It says, although in narcissism, we do include vanity. We also mean something broader and more serious, of which physical vanity is merely a symptom, a pathological degree of self-absorption, an inability to empathize with the concerns of others. 
for many, this is part of a very broad and deep-seated pattern of distorted attitudes, values, and behaviors resulting in that chronic lifelong inability to get along with the world that clinicians term personality disorder. The histrionic and narcissistic personality disorders uh, heavily overlapping clinical categories recognized by the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 3rd edition, so that's the DSM-3, have been described in the following phrases, which even in condensed form are telling. And keep in mind, this is two gay activists, right? Homosexual activists writing this. And you can see it. I didn't, I didn't print it up, but... I'm reading it. Histrionic patients are overly dramatic, always drawing attention to themselves, prone to exaggeration, act out a role such as princess without being aware of it, excitability, irrational, angry outbursts, tantrums, crave novelty, stimulation, stimulation rather, excitement, quickly bored, shallow, lack genuineness, superficially charming, quick to form friendships, demanding, egocentric, inconsiderate, manipulative, suicidal threats, gestures or attempts, attractive, seductive, vain, flights into romantic fantasy, overt behavior, often a caricature of femininity, promiscuous, little interest in, careful, analytic thinking, though creative and, and imaginative, influenced by fads, judgment not firmly rooted, often associated with a homosexual arousal pattern. Emphasis added in the book, common complication is substance use disorder. This is true. I'm just going to show this to you. You can see it right there. I don't know if it will get unblurry, but the emphasis added, I guess it's not, but it's right there underneath my finger. Um, Sorry, it's still blurred, but whatever. Then it says here, narcissistic patients have, in addition to the above, a grandiose sense of self-importance, need constant attention and admiration, relationships alternate between over-idealization and devaluation, lack of empathy, extreme self-centeredness or self-absorption, fantasies of unlimited ability, power, wealth, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, more concerned with appearances than substance, being seen with the, quote, right people, exploitive relations with others lack sustained positive regard, preoccupation with remaining youthful, outright lying. Okay. Two gay activists writing this book, two homosexual activists, okay? They and, go that, on. and that's quoting the DSM-3, right? That's, that's right. So pay attention to this. So they go on to say this. Remind you of anyone you know? Believe it or not, when we set out to write this chapter, we didn't have the above clinical description in mind as a hidden agendum. Rather, it worked the other way around. We started with a straightforward list of honest gripes, and in ruminating over the problem of how to present the list in an orderly, organized fashion, found that we were driven insensibly back to clinical concepts. While reviewing such clinical concepts, we stumbled across the above description, which in essence is a brutal exaggeration of our list of complaints precisely. It's important that the reader understand that we and the DSM-3, what we and the DSM-3 are not saying here. Although homosexuality was itself at one time considered a form of personality disorder, it is no longer, and the histrionic and narcissistic categories are not attempts to smuggle homosexuality back into the official listing of mental disorders under another name. In fact, these categories existed before homosexuality was taken off the books. By the way, that was in quotes. Yet, yeah, they seem to fit a certain sort 
of gay male like a condom. Why? Not because homosexuality is sick, but because certain gays are sick. An analogy, although homosexuality doesn't cause AIDS, old-fashioned gay sex is a good way to get AIDS. Similarly, although homosexuality isn't a personality disorder, the way gays are forced to live by straights and by one another lowers their resistance to personality disorders. Consequently, we find the gay community rife not only with AIDS, but with histrionic and narcissistic behavior. If the shoe fits, eat it. Okay? This is homosexuals writing this, okay? Psychologist M. Scott Peck, in his book, People of the Lie, has characterized extreme or malignant narcissism simply as evil. By the way, if you've never read People of the Lie, it's a a very good book. Evil people, he says have an unshakable will to be right and will not consider the possibility that they are in the wrong. Does that describe anybody you know by any chance? Uh, They have a hardened heart to which they do not listen and will not accept criticism. Unable to submit their extraordinary willfulness to any value beyond and above the self, they put their own interests irrevocably before the interests and needs of others, readily inflicting any harm necessary to get what they want. Their main weapon, interestingly, is the lie, with which they distort reality to look good to themselves and to confuse others. While we wouldn't go into the idiotic extreme of calling all gay people histrionic and narcissistic, let alone evil, these terms represent extremes of a spectrum on which we all fall. The pathological and wicked do not differ from the rest of us in any kind, only in degree. It seems to us that more gays than straights fall further out out on this spectrum. This is not because homosexuality per se is worse than heterosexuality. It isn't. Rather, the peculiar social position in which gays find themselves render very many of them easy prey to the temptations of deceitfulness and narcissism, the easy way out of the hardships of gay life, and consequently to personality disorder. And I could go on, but I'm not going to. Um, Because it's, it's, it's interesting, because if you read this book... Everything you see today has been marketed to you. And what's interesting to me as a cultural observer and apologist of sorts is that I've watched for the last 20 years anyway how children have been sexualized and brainwashed. And with this transgender thing, you know, if you want to talk about something straight from the pit of hell or, you know, what Randall named the show, would you name the show again? The road to hell is paved with glitter or something it's like that. Covered with glitter. Covered with glitter. You know, the idea is that yeah. you know, there's the old expression that you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. That's true. Or or gender affirming procedures. Um the idea is you know, maybe paved with good intentions, but it's covered with glitter. You can't tell this road to hell because it's covered up with you know festive shiny stuff you know distracting stuff um you know shiny object syndrome uh and there that book you know uh after the ball is all about don't don't look at you know the man behind the curtain here's this other thing we're putting out there and so uh be it that or whatever it is that that 
meme or whatever you opened up with that, uh, you know, when you know, it starts out that evil is called what we, we you know, uh, allow evil and permit it and celebrate it and all that. And eventually those who still call it evil are, yeah. you know, marginalized. And right. Persecuted. Um, and in that progression, you know, it's like, don't, we don't want anybody to know this is the road to hell. Well, especially Satan doesn't want anybody. And so it's, it's covered over, it's masked over with festive party kind of stuff. But, you know, you know, glitter, ultimately, it is as festive as it might be. It's really a pain in the backside, isn't it? It yeah. sticks to everything. Well, anyway. Yeah, I'm, it. It's it's such a tragedy for the children today, yeah. right? I mean, I'm 53, almost 54. 20 years ago, I was in my early 30s, and 20 years ago, you know, prior, to, just slightly before this, maybe 10, 15 years prior to that, that's when they started marketing this stuff. I mean, Randall and I will have been married 30 years in August, okay? 30 years is a long time, but it they have been working on this agenda for decades, you know, it's, it's taken a while. Just so you can see, some guys have trouble accepting gay people. This marketing image, you see that? Okay, the KKK. Okay, so this is an intentional tactic to make you feel bad if you think that, that sodomy and homosexual sex is a bad thing. Okay, um, that's, why they, that's why they did it. So that's one thing, um, you know. Uh, it's just other marketing things here, you know, right here, this straight, this one here, it says you probably never chose to be gay, uh, be straight or gay, but you can choose to be fair or unfair. I mean, these are some of their prototype marketing in this book, how they are going to, how they did all right. I mean, they did it, you know, put out that I'm proud of my lesbian daughter, you know, um, they even talk in this book about how Matthew Shepard was, um, different things, but, you know, someone you'd like to know. Anyway, they, you know, the whole goal is to make, is to remove the sexual aspect of it. But this is why, this is why people are outraged. Because Disney went way too far. I mean, you look at that dress of Minnie, right? Uh, you know what that looks like. Okay, for those of you on our podcast listening to audio, it looks like a penis. Okay, I'm just going to say it. It's exactly what it looks like. And it's completely intentional. In fact, my friend Billy Crone um, has made he's he's done a great series on um, called it's called the seduction of uh, I don't know exactly the exact term, but basically it's the seduction of of the media and how they have sexualized things and things like that. If I was a parent, number one, no, 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 Disney ever, ever again. Number one, no, you should shut your TV off. Period. When it comes to children. Uh, in my opinion, read them books, let them read, teach them to read good books. Um, that would be one thing, but here's what I know. And I wrote this on my Twitter account this week. And some of you won't like this. Some of you are like, yeah, whatever you'll, you know, you'll believe me, but here's what I know. And this is what the homosexual lobby knows. The church by and large will get all outraged Oh, we're going to cancel Disney. In fact, you can go on Twitter. You can look people holding up their thing. They canceled Disney, right? 
But you know what? The homosexual lobby knows that, eh, you know, give it a couple days, a couple weeks, maybe. And then next thing you know, Disney's going to put out this brand new movie. It's going to be out there right in time for summer when kids need to go and get out of your hair. And you want to bring them to the movie theater to get them out of your hair for a while because everybody's watching it. And then you're going to go pour your money back into it. You're going to bring them to Disney World, Disneyland, and you're still going to throw your money into their pockets because of apathy. Because you don't know the actual damage that this does. Now, let me ask you something. And I'm getting emotional because so many years ago when God called me to this ministry of exposing this, I looked into the eyes of a man uh, who I could tell, I mean, these, these people were intentionally luring children. I remember looking into the eyes of this young boy named Christopher, and he told me how he decided to become gay. And it was because he was seduced online by a pervert who led him to a mall, who brought him back to a hotel and sodomized him. And he was a son of a single Christian mother who had to work her butt off and try to support this kid. You know, I sat in that meeting with Randall and we listened how they were intentionally targeting kids and the church. This book lays it out. They intentionally targeted the church. Now, how much more have we fallen when you have a child telling a parent that they're the different gender and that they have to dress differently. How effed up is that? Excuse my language, but that's royally effed up. I mean, seriously. And yet, as I was talking to my own therapist this week about some, some of my grief and some other stuff that's gone on, one of the things that we were talking about was how I was in a, um, I'll just share this because it blew me away. I was in a Facebook group for an app that I really like. It's a personal development app. And this young girl posts a picture of herself. And she talks about how this is the first place she can come out as gender fluid. Right? If you don't know what that means, it just means that you could just be whatever the hell gender you want to be, however you feel like it. Right? And (laughs) I watched as other people looked at her in that picture and I literally watched as people just praised it. Oh, we're so proud of you for coming out that way. And I sat there going, what the hell has happened to this world? Seriously. And then I posted on my Facebook, you know, the culture says, just be who you are, embrace who you are. But when the Christian does that, they tell us, oh no, you can't be that way. And I got thrown out of the group, by the way, for something else. Didn't have anything to do with that comment because I didn't make a comment on that. But they threw me out of the group. And I'm like, what the hell? You know? And yeah, I will tell you, good. You know, my therapist told me who I absolutely love. She she says to me, you've been thrown out of better places. (laughs) (laughs) The woman has known me 30 years. She knows that I've been thrown out of everywhere. (laughs) I've been throwing out everywhere, people. Um, But, you know, the funny thing is, is I wouldn't change it because I'm not going to sit there and go, you know, you're right. I'm going to feel bad for a liar, for somebody who doesn't keep their word. 
And I'm going to applaud the parent is too, you know, who is a coward and doesn't want to parent their child. Instead, they want to bow to what their kids with an unfully developed brain want because they've been fed the crap liberal media in that Christian home because the parents don't want to deal with it. You know, Um, well, you don't understand. Oh, don't tell me I don't understand. I might not have children of my own, but I've counseled lots of children and I know what the culture teaches. And I saw this meme go by. One of the things that said on the meme was, um, how do you expect your children to be Christians when they get one hour of Bible teaching a week and 50 of the media on TikTok or wherever the heck? That's where the church needs to man up, you know, Bible up, read your Bible, be discipled, get obsessed about the word, you know, become an actual Christian, not a cultural one. Actually live out what you believe. Take it on the chops. Get thrown into the lion's den, get thrown off Facebook, get thrown off YouTube, whatever. You know, most of my friends who are biblical have numerous strikes on on YouTube. I do. Not, I'm not gone yet, but at some point we might be, <laughs> you know, it's like, and what, 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 is that a big price to pay? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like, what's worse? Your ego being hurt because you lost a platform or something or a child being raped and seduced and lured into a destructive lifestyle that's sending them to hell. Because they don't know that God loves them. They don't know Psalm 139 that says God fearfully and wonderfully made them. He knit them together in his mother's womb. They don't know that because the church isn't teaching it. Because they're too damn busy going to Disneyland giving these idiots all their money. And other places. And then you get mad at me because I said damn or, or effing. Right? If the shoe fits. You know, ugh. It, it, it is a tragedy to me. You know, I remember one child I, I counseled many years ago. This little boy was so in need of affection and attention from his parents that he faked being disabled so that he could get attention and end up in therapy in, in his little elementary school he was in. And he actually told, he told me that. He goes, My mom and dad don't pay attention to me. They only pay attention to my brother who's this way. How much more so kids who are so confused because they've been indoctrinated by the media and and parents, they're not outraged enough. And you know what? Here's the deal. The media is going to make the conservative biblical Christian or conservative who isn't even a Christian but has some morals that are sane, they're going to paint them out to be the crazy person, Right? You know what? All I can tell you is that that's what the religious leaders did with Jesus. They made him out to be a crazy person. They called him a madman. So, you know what? If it happens, you're in good company. Right? Because I don't know about you, but according to God's word, one day we're going to stand before that judgment and we're going to answer for what we did and didn't do. You know what? That will probably be one of the saddest days of anybody's eternity. When we go, hmm, you had the answer, but we just kind of like looked over it, didn't even bother with it. You know, I don't know. Randall and me talk about it all the time. As for me and my house, we were going to serve the Lord. 
Um, if it means you don't see much of me on social media because I get thrown off, whatever, get on my email list. Go there today. Go over to BibleNewsRadio.com. Join my email list until MailChimp decides to ban me. I don't really care. I'm not going to shut up about it. If we can save one kid from this type of, you know, heartbreak, to me, it's worth it. It's not easy. God doesn't call us to a life of ease, by the way. You know, I'm teaching this Bible study called Living Victoriously in Difficult Times. And the number one thing in there is that if you desire to truly live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. That's biblical Christianity. It's not you getting wealthy and prospering. Yeah, God blesses his own. But with it comes a cost. And I tell you what, we live in such a hostile environment. Like I said earlier, my book, Pickleball Faith, just the title, got over 122 comments on a thread yesterday just because of the word faith. So my, my encouragement to you this week, as always, is to be bold, to stand up, and then go with God. Because he loves you. And tell somebody else that. Because you know what? There's people that need to hear it. There are battle-weary people out there who need your love and your support. You know what? And here's the thing. Griping about it on social media, that's not going to change anything. What's going to change is you getting educated, you know, and you going out and you begin educating people one person at a time. Randall and I had our little heart tug fellowship this morning. We had one person show up. And you know what? That one person that came, it was worth it. Two hours with her. Because you know what? She isn't going to sit there and do nothing with what we talked about. She's going to go out and influence people. And you can too. And if you're not, you know, change that and and do it today. So, um, yeah. So that's all I'm going to say. I think we went an hour or something. Um, But, um, yeah, hard topic, but <sighs> yeah, one last thing I'll say, and that is this. If your heart isn't broken over this, then one thing I would encourage you to pray about is God breaking your heart. Because if you're so hardened to it, then you don't understand the intense depth of it, right? We can't, our, our goal isn't to hate the homosexual lobby or the gay community. The goal is to set these guys free, these girls free, these children free, because Jesus loves them and he knows what he called them to. And every person who's in that lifestyle and they've embraced it, God has a call for their life, for his glory. But right now they're, they're in the jaws of the enemy and they're right hanging there, you know. Look at it that way, and maybe it will encourage you to do something more about it. Because it isn't about you, ultimately. It's about God. And it's about Jesus and his death for us on the cross because of our sin. We're all sinners. You know what? Some of us are more blessed to be able to come to faith earlier. But you know what? There's always hope until somebody dies. But I will tell you, once a person dies, if they are without Christ, they are spending eternity in hell. And honestly, that should compel all of us to get off our ass and go and do something because 
if we really believe what we believe as Christians, that people are going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire and burn in hell and be separated from God and in anguish where the worm never dies and all that stuff, then our apathy would go away. Consider it if it was your best friend doing that and you had to watch it. What would you do? Would you change? What, what is it going to take? That's what I'm going to leave you with. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So have a good day. <laughs> On that happy note, have a good day, people. <laughs> but, you know, go to our website, join our email list, and uh, send us any feedback if you have any. Okay, we'll see you later.